Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of Sam Explaining Science. I'm Sam. I'm your host. I'll be Sam Explaining the Science, and today we're talking about my life's blood, my liquid gold, the sweet, sweet nectar of coffee. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, how are you? I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well also, thanks for asking. We're back for another week, another episode, um, another early morning recording. I'm here drinking my coffee, my first of the day, maybe the last, we'll see where it takes us. Since no one asked, I'll give you my coffee order. Um, We're in September now, as I'm sure you might be aware. And September means fall, and fall means pumpkin, obviously. So my coffee this morning is um, an espresso. I have an espresso machine. It was the greatest gift I've ever received, and probably the greatest gift I will ever receive, um, besides life, I guess, itself. Um, But I made an espresso, and I put a little bit of water in it to like dilute the espresso a little bit. And then I put in some oat milk and some pumpkin creamer and some ice, of course, because I got to have iced coffee. Um, but yeah, this has been my coffee order for the last like couple days now that it's fall. Got to have the pumpkin coffee. Um, and it's been just bellissima. Amazing. I love it. It's the best way to start off the day. Anyway, now that we're all caught up on my updated coffee order for the season. Um, This week, as I mentioned, we're talking about coffee. The episode title is Coffee, Coffee, Coffee. It is inspired by the coffee queen herself, Lorelai Gilmore. If you've never seen Gilmore Girls, Lorelai and Rory, I guess, are both like coffee fiends. And one time she goes into a cafe and she's like, coffee, coffee, coffee. And the barista gives her three coffees. And she's like, oh no, I just wanted one coffee. And the barista was like, then why did you say it three times? And she's like, no, no, no. I just meant like coffee, coffee, coffee. Like she was, I don't know. It was relatable. Anyway, um, happy Gilmore Girls rewatch season, by the way, to those of you who observe. That's one of my favorite things about fall. Pumpkin coffee and rewatching a show that I've watched. Oh, I don't know. How many years have I been on this planet? Well, how many years has it been out? Watch it too much. I don't watch any new shows. I just rewatch Gilmore Girls. By the time my rewatch of Gilmore Girls is over, it's like summertime. And it's like, okay, I'll go outside and I won't watch anything on Netflix. And then by the time the weather gets cold and it's time to come back inside, let's rewatch some Gilmore Girls. Um, <laughs> anyway, coffee. We're talking about coffee. That's why we're here today. Coffee brings us together today. <laughs> Oh no, we're derailing already and we're still on the, the intro. Anyway, um, last week's episode, we talked, if you didn't watch it or listen to it, by the way, you can go find it now wherever you get your podcast. It was about alcohol and alcohol use disorder. Um, but during last week's episode, I mentioned, oh, maybe I'll talk about coffee one day because although I'm not dependent on alcohol, I am very dependent on a little bit of caffeinated bean water in the morning sometimes the afternoon too. Um, so I kind of wanted to, I was curious about like, what is coffee and why does it make me feel so 
alive, you know? So that brings us to the motivation for today's episode and today's questions. So the first question for today is, what is coffee and how does it give us energy? And the second question is, does coffee affect our health? And if so, how? So this episode's source is linked in the episode description, as always. Um, it is a review article by Dr. Rob M. Van, Van Dam and colleagues, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a very prestigious medical journal. Um, it was published in 2020, so it's pretty recent. And they talk about ca- coffee, caffeine, and health. So the first question, what is coffee? Coffee is a caffeinated beverage. If you didn't know, now you know. Um, And caffeine, it's not the only caffeinated beverage, though, although it's the only caffeinated beverage that I observe and honor. Um, There are other caffeinated beverages like teas, like black tea and green tea also have caffeine. Um, And also caffeine, synthesized caffeine is found in sodas and energy drinks. Um, but caffeine is a chemical that is psychoactive, meaning that it affects our brain, our psycho, our psyche. Um, and it's naturally occurring in coffee beans and in tea leaves, um, but it can also be synthesized and included in energy drinks and sodas. Um, about 85% of adults in the U.S. consume caffeine each day, which is very high percentage. Um, The average dose is about 135 milligrams, which is equivalent to about one and a half cups of coffee. And caffeine concentration, like I said, is found in a whole bunch of different drinks, but the content is highest or the concentration is highest in coffee, energy drinks, and caffeine tablets. Um, There's an intermediate caffeine concentration in certain teas, And then caffeine concentration is the lowest in sodas. So that's just some fun facts about caffeine consumption in the U.S. Um, But now let's talk more about how does coffee or caffeine in general give us energy. So the chemical name for caffeine is 1-3-7-trimethylxanthine. Uh, I'm just going to call caffeine. We're on a first name basis, caffeine and I. We, we've skipped the pleasantries. We're, we've known each other for too long to, to have these formalities in place. Um, so caffeine it is. So when we consume caffeine um, in coffee, soda, energy drinks, etc., um, we drink it, right? We swallow it and it goes into our stomach. And then from our stomach, it gets absorbed into our bloodstream within about 45 minutes. Um, which is probably why my coffee naps work so well. This is a pro tip. Um, it literally got me through college and grad school and currently getting me through my postdoc. A coffee nap is when you have a cup of coffee and right as you finish the coffee, you take a power nap for like 30 minutes. 20 to 30 minute power nap. And then when you wake up, you feel extra energized and extra alert. One, because of the power nap and two, because of the caffeine that is now in your bloodstream. Um, So yeah, it takes about 45 minutes for the caffeine to get into your bloodstream. And once the caffeine is in your bloodstream, as we know, blood is everywhere. So it goes to all different parts of your body. But 
as I mentioned earlier, caffeine is a psychoactive chemical, a psychoactive agent. So one of the parts of our body that is most affecting is the brain. And what caffeine does in the brain is it blocks the adenosine receptor. So adenosine in our brain is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, which means inhibitory meaning that it like turns off activity. It slows down activity. So in our brains, adenosine, the role of adenosine is to promote sleepiness, increase drowsiness, um, and while it's increasing drowsiness, it is inhibiting arousal or awakeness, right? It turns off awakeness and alertness so that we can become drowsy and get sleepy. So when we have caffeine in our bloodstreams, the caffeine gets into our brain and it binds to the adenosine receptors so that adenosine can't bind to its receptors, and when adenosine can't bind to its receptor, it can't do its job, which is, again, to make us sleepy. So caffeine essentially turns off adenosine so that adenosine can't turn off our alertness, if that makes sense, um, which is why caffeine seems to be giving us energy and making us feel more awake. It's because it's keeping the sleepy time neurochemical for making us feel tired, which is pretty cool. I'm eternally grateful for it. Um, in addition to going to the brain, caffeine also goes to the liver. Um, caffeine gets metabolized by enzymes that are released by the liver. And um, that is just so that it can get broken down into smaller pieces of the chemical and then once it's broken down into smaller pieces, it will eventually be excreted through the urine. So when things are metabolized, it's basically broken up so that it doesn't do the job that it's supposed to do. So we drink caffeine, and then it wears off eventually because it's getting metabolized. Um, the half-life of caffeine in adults is between two and a half to four and a half hours. That means that after you know three hours or whatever, the amount of caffeine that was in the bloodstream has reduced by 50%. So if I took one gram of caffeine, which we'll find out later is actually a lot of caffeine, but if I had one gram of caffeine, three hours later in my bloodstream, there would be half a gram of caffeine. And then three hours after that would be half of that, which is 25 or 0.25 grams of caffeine. And then after that, it would be another three hours would be 0.125 grams and so on and so on until eventually there's like nothing left. Um, so that's sort of like how the metabolism process works. And we use half-lives, which is a measurement of time uh, to define how long it takes the concentration of caffeine in our blood to reduce by a factor of two or reduce by 50%. Um, the speed with which we... This is something that I learned. The speed with which we uh, metabolize, that's the word, caffeine, um, depends on the person. So it changes from person to person, and it depends on how fast that their livers can like produce the enzymes that metabolize caffeine. Um, that is affected by genetics. Um, so some of the enzymes that our liver releases to break down caffeine can be inherited. So 
there are some people who are like, oh my God, I can't have caffeine. It makes me so anxious or, you know, jittery or whatever. And it could be that they're, uh, they've inherited genetically, um, enzymes that don't metabolize or break down caffeine as much. So a little caffeine will go a much further way for people who can't metabolize it as much because it sticks around in their system for longer. Um, so I learned that. I, I didn't know that. That was interesting. There are some other factors besides like liver enzymes that affect how uh, you metabolize caffeine. So for example, newborns cannot metabolize caffeine like practically at all, it seems like. The half-life of caffeine in a newborn is 80 hours. That's almost four days. So they I guess their, you know, their systems aren't really well prepared for uh breaking down caffeine. They sleep all the time anyway. What do they need caffeine for? Well, actually do I think they do sleep a lot, right? Aren't they supposed to sleep a lot? But then why do newborn parents never sleep? I don't know. Maybe because the newborn parents drink too much coffee to try to keep up with the baby when it's awake in the night, and then once the baby's asleep, Sam explains parenting. Next week's episode. Just kidding. I no. Um I won't even try to Sam explain that. Uh it just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> um but besides age, newborns, um, another factor that affects caffeine metabolism is smoking. So smoking can actually accelerate your rate of caffeine metabolism. So in other words, the half-life of caffeine in a smoker might be shorter than a non-smoker because they are, their uh, metabolism rate is accelerated. They're breaking down caffeine faster, so it'll get to the 50% mark sooner. Their half-life will be shorter. Um, this article, the review article, also mentions that ca uh, medications can affect caffeine metabolism as well. So they say things like oral contraceptives, for example, can double the half-life of caffeine, essentially slowing down the metabolism of caffeine, um, which I did not know either. I learned a lot reading this, this article. It was a very informative article. Um, but regardless, the caffeine in our bloodstream gets broken down and cleared from our body. And then eventually, once all the caffeine is out of the bloodstream, it goes out of the brain too. And then once it's out of the brain, adenosine can do its job again and make us drowsy and make us sleepy. So um, you'll notice that maybe it affects you a little differently compared to other people, but for the most part, within a couple of hours, you might notice, oh, I'm getting sleepy again. You might need another cup in the afternoon, you know? Um, I've been there. So that's sort of how caffeine distributes throughout our body and how it seems to give us energy instead of giving us energy, it really takes away the sleepiness of it all. So that's question one, which was about what is coffee? How does it give us energy? We'll move on now to question number two, which is, does caffeine affect our health? And if so, how? So I talked a little bit about how caffeine works in the brain to make us feel more awake um, but there are other effects that caffeine has on the brain, other like side effects, if you will. Um, so 
we'll start with the brain um, and talk about some of the effects that caffeine has on our brain. Um, maybe not necessarily in the short term, but like also prolonged use of caffeine. It's like over many years, what effect can repeated exposure to caffeine have on our bodies, starting with our brain. So the first thing we have is increases in mental performance and alertness. Um, so that's something that, you know, we just talked about having being more alert when we have caffeine. That's like a short-term effect. Um, but caffeine can also contribute to insomnia and can induce anxiety, which been there. Um, I can't drink coffee after 4 p.m. because if I drink coffee after 4 p.m., I'm awake all night because there's too much caffeine in my system. The caffeine interferes with my adenosine in my brain, and then when it's time to go to bed, I can't. So I always have, if I have an afternoon cup of coffee, it's usually around like 2 o'clock, and then I can go to sleep at a normal hour. But if I have coffee at like 4 o'clock or later, it's game over. It, it's no good. Um, and then coffee, as I said, can also induce anxiety. Um, I've been there too. I am a very anxious person. So, and coffee some days doesn't help that at all. Um, but there's also like a big difference across people. The article mentions that, um, people who have like generalized anxiety disorder or bipolar disorders might be more sensitive to caffeine's effect on anxiety levels. Like I can drink a cup of coffee and not be like super, super anxious. Um, it's only when I have like two or three cups in like a short amount of time where I start getting like a little panicky. Um, but if people who have like serious anxiety disorders diagnosed, um, they may be more sensitive to caffeine's effect on their anxiety. So maybe one cup of coffee would, you know, give somebody more anxiety symptoms if they have previously or like are currently struggling with anxiety. Um, so again, it's sort of one of those things that like depends on the person. Different people react differently um, to caffeine exposure. So, I mean, obviously insomnia and anxiety are not like great things. Like we wouldn't choose to have insomnia and we wouldn't choose to have anxiety. Um, and, and you could argue that coffee is sort of hurtful to us if it induces insomnia and anxiety. Um, but actually there have been a lot of studies that have shown that long-term coffee can actually be beneficial to us. So regular consumption of caffeine has been shown to be associated with a reduced risk of depression. Um, co caffeine and coffee can also improve the effect of NSAIDs and acetaminophen for headaches and pains. And it has been shown to also reduce, potentially reduce the risk of Parkinson's disease. So long-term, and I, I think I read a study too, they didn't mention it in this article, but I think I read a study that was looking at caffeine and Alzheimer's as well. And how like regular consumption of caffeine, like black coffee, like two or three cups a day, was associated with a lower incidence of Alzheimer's. So it's not like coffee is a cure to Alzheimer's or coffee definitely prevents Alzheimer's, but it's a relationship between the two. A relationship does not imply 
um, causality, right? Correlation does not imply causation. I went on a rant, that rant early on, episode two or something. Um, but it's just that, like, oh, people who have coffee every day, every day are less likely to develop these diseases. Um, and it might be something completely different. It might be the caffeine that is, you know, contributing to a different pathway that prevents Parkinson's disease or prevents Alzheimer's disease. Um, but just an interesting, you know, little piece of information that can be studied more and should be studied more. Um, but cool to see that there is some evidence that it might reduce the risk of like, you know, serious neurodegenerative and neuropsychiatric disorders with depression too. Okay, so moving on from the brain now, we're going to talk about how caffeine impacts the heart. So short-term consumption of caffeine has been shown to increase blood pressure. However, this was in a study that looked at um, isolated caffeine, so maybe like caffeine tablets type of thing. Um, but these increases in blood pressure were not seen when people drink coffee or tea. So the article suggest they suggest that maybe that's because there are other components of coffee and tea that offset an increase in blood pressure. Whereas if you're just consuming pure isolated caffeine, there aren't those other components that might offset the blood pressure, which would lead to an increase in blood pressure. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. There have been a lot of studies that also talk about prolonged consumption of caffeine through coffee consumption in particular. And studies have actually shown that coffee consumption does not have an association with a risk of hypertension. So in other words, maybe isolated pure caffeine might increase your blood pressure in the short term, but more long-term, more consistent intake of caffeine through coffee um, has not been associated with a risk of high blood pressure or hypertension. Um, additionally, drinking up to six cups of caffeinated coffee a day was found to not be associated with risks of coronary artery disease and stroke as well. So um, there aren't like additional risks to drinking coffee long-term. You're not going to put yourself at a risk for coronary artery disease or stroke or hypertension or really any like cardiovascular issues uh, with prolonged use of caffeine through coffee um, or tea. I think we're like the main studies. Anyway, not only was coffee not associated with an increased risk of coronary artery disease and stroke, it was actually found that coffee consumption was, a, was associated with a reduced risk of coronary artery disease, stroke, and other cardiovascular events. So not only were, were people who drink coffee not likely to have these events happen to them, they were actually less likely to have these events happen to them compared to people who don't drink coffee. Um, I think the lowest risk for cardiovascular diseases, stroke, coronary artery disease, et cetera, the lowest risk um, group were for people who drank three to five cups of coffee a day. So 
listen, I'm just gloating here for a second. Just going to brag a little bit and say, my heart is healthy. because I'm doing this for a healthy heart, okay? That's why I'm doing it. Let me live. Okay. I'll have to remember that the next time I get like very, like a fluttery heart when I drink too much coffee. It's like, no, 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 this is good for me. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on from the heart to the liver. These next couple are going to be like quick summaries because frankly, they're things that I care less about than the brain and the heart. Um, <laughs> so coffee and caffeine's effect on the liver. Um, caffeine may reduce the risk of fibrosis, cirrhosis, and liver cancer. Um, and these are all things that we saw in last week's episode, prolonged use of alcohol having an increased risk of fibrosis, cirrhosis, and liver cancer. Um, but when we're talking about coffee and caffeine dependence, um, there's actually some evidence to suggest that there's a reduced risk of fibrosis, cirrhosis, and cancer of the liver. The kidney and the urinary system. So at high doses, caffeine does have a diuretic effect. That's because it is, so diuretic, diuresis, whatever you want to call it, is basically losing water through urine. Um, yeah, losing water through urine is what diuresis is and diuretics. So if you've ever taken a diuretic drug, there's drugs that are diuretics that make you pee a lot or make you lose a lot of water. Um, and then antidiuretics are the opposite, right? They make you retain water, keep water inside and not pee it out. Um, high doses of caffeine do have a diuretic effect. Um, so you might notice if you drink a lot of caffeine, you pee a lot out. Um, <laughs> that's not really professional, right? I guess maybe I should be like increased urination or some crapola, but you know what? I'm not here to be professional. This is, we're talking friends here. We're, we're buddies. So I'm going to say you pee a lot out. And that's just how we're going to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> long-term, though, long-term use of caffeine, there are no effects on, like, hydration um, with prolonged use of caffeine. So there's no, like, urinary problems. There's no, like, uh, what's the word that, I think it's called incontinence, when, like, you can't really hold your pee in. There's no issues like that with long-term use of caffeine or coffee drinking. Um, lastly, the endocrine system, or one of the lastly, uh, the endocrine system, so short-term use of caffeine and con caffeine consumption reduces the skeletal muscle's sensitivity to insulin. Insulin is a hormone in our body that helps us regulate blood sugar by helping the sugar in our blood get... Um, used by our cells so that it could make energy. Um, so short-term, there is some sensitivity to insulin. However, long-term, um, there is no major effect on insulin. And actually, some studies have suggested that um, repeated use of black coffee with like no added sugars or anything can reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes uh, in a dose-dependent manner. Um, so maybe in the short term, there might be some uh, influence on insulin, 
But once you like build up a tolerance and you use it every day, caffeine could potentially prevent the long-term insulin problems like type 2 diabetes. And then there were some other miscellaneous facts that were included in the article that I just wanted to talk about that I thought was interesting. So one of those was that repeated caffeine intake reduced the risk of gallstones and gallbladder cancer in people who drank coffee and caffeinated coffee more so than decaf coffee, which suggests that it's the caffeine in coffee that really um, adds this benefit of a reduced risk of gallstones and gallbladder cancer. The overall mortality in people who consume coffee is actually lower than people who don't drink coffee. So again, cheers to that. Here for a long time and a good time, right? Um, <laughs> so consumption of the, the article says the, the article says that consumption of two to five standard cups of coffee per day were associated with a reduced mortality in people who had European, African American, and Asian ancestry. So I think those were all like different studies looking at different ancestry, but in all of those populations, um, or ancestries or ethnicities, I should say. Um, and in all of those populations, drinking two to five standard cups of coffee per day was associated with reduced mortality. So in other words, less dying in people who drank coffee um, or longer lives in people who drank coffee. Um, one other thing that the article mentioned was caffeine in pregnancy. I thought this was pretty interesting as well. So caffeine is in our bloodstreams. And if you are a pregnant person, caffeine, it, and you consume caffeine, it will go into your bloodstream as well. Um, pregnant people who are growing fetuses inside of them share a lot of the nutrients, sugar, proteins, etc., with the fetus through the placenta, which is basically like the middle ground from the maternal blood and the fetal blood. So the pregnant person's blood will drop off all of the sugar and the nutrients and everything that the fetus needs into the placenta, and then the fetal blood circulation will pick up all of those nutrients and bring it to the fetus. Um, caffeine is one of those things that can cross what's called the placental barrier. So in other words, it could go from the maternal bloodstream to the fetal bloodstream. So if a, ma a pregnant person drinks too much coffee uh, while pregnant, the fetus will get that caffeine and it'll go berserk, right? It'll be up all night, bouncing off the walls. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't actually know that for sure, but it can pass the placental barrier. That is something that has been shown. And not only can it pass the placental barrier, um, caffeine has an effect in the placenta that's called uteroplacental vasoconstriction, which uteroplacental is basically the uterus and placenta, where it's those where it's located. And vasoconstriction means the constriction of blood vessels or the, the reduction in the diameter of blood vessels. So when the blood vessels are constricted, there's less blood flowing through them because they're smaller. So when a, peg when a pregnant person has caffeine, those blood vessels that supply the blood to their baby 
can constrict and get you know, smaller, which leads to less blood flow, less nutrient transfer. And because of this, this it's believed that caffeine, higher, well, I should say higher caffeine intake, so too much caffeine during pregnancy, has previously been associated with lower birth weight. Um, so it's recommended for pregnant people, they can have caffeine just less than 200 milligrams per day. So I think that's usually less than two cups of coffee per day. So you can have a cup of coffee per day as a pregnant person, but if you drink too much caffeine or consume too much caffeine, it could affect the blood supply to um, the fetus, which could in turn impact the growth of the fetus, making it smaller at the time of birth, which would lead to a lower birth rate weight. I thought that was pretty interesting too. So I included that in there, even though it doesn't affect everybody, it does affect pregnant people's body. And I thought that was interesting. Okay, I am really venting now, but I do have one more thing that I want to talk about, one more slide, um, where I want to talk about the toxic effect of caffeine. So last week we talked about alcohol poisoning um, and the effect that alcohol has on the body and the brain and how it can lead to like serious fatality. Um, caffeine is not as toxic as alcohol can be to us. But it can be toxic in some ways. So caffeine poisoning is something that exists. Um, effects of caffeine poisoning can start at around 1.2 grams of caffeine intake. Um, and caffeine poisoning can become fatal at over 10 grams of caffeine intake. Um, and that, that might not seem like a lot. Like 10 grams is like pretty small. Um, but in order to get 10 grams of caffeine, you would need to drink between 75 to 100 cups of coffee at a time. So it's very rare. I would say nearly impossible to get caffeine poisoning from coffee, um, or tea or soda, right? I think the article says that most of the people who've experienced caffeine poisoning have done so because of like caffeine supplements or like those tab caffeine tablets, um, which are very concentrated, you know, amounts of caffeine, a lot of caffeine in a little volume. So you could pop a couple of caffeine tablets and reach 10 grams much quicker than, you know, a cup of coffee, which has, I don't know, a couple hundred milligrams, maybe 150 milligrams of caffeine in a cup of coffee. So, um, it's very rare for you to reach that 10 gram fatality threshold from coffee alone. Um, but the side effects for caffeine poisoning uh, include anxiety, restlessness, nervousness, dysphoria, insomnia, excitement, <laughs> I say like that, mad enunciation, excitement, um, Psycho psychomotor agitation and a rambling flow of thought and speech. Um, which honestly is just my second cup, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> no, but it can be fatal uh, if in very, very, very high doses. Um, because, you know, if you have too much caffeine, 10 grams of caffeine or I should say this, if 
you have too much caffeine. If you take in too much caffeine at once, that doesn't change the rate at which your body metabolizes the caffeine, right? So if I take 10 grams of caffeine right now, in three hours, my bloodstream will have five grams of caffeine. And then in another three hours, so that's six hours from when I first took the caffeine, it'll have 2.5 grams of caffeine in my bloodstream, right? And then after that, another three hours, now we're talking nine hours from the beginning, it'd be 1.25 grams of caffeine. And at that point, nine hours later, we're still seeing the effects of caffeine poisoning because that's when caffeine poisoning really starts is when, you know, you take in one, over 1.2 grams of of caffeine at a time. So it, it just takes a long time to metabolize and clear from your body. Um, so that's, you know, it'll last a long time, especially long, uh, when the amount, when the amount of caffeine in your body has these effects, like if there's a certain amount of caffeine in your bloodstream, there's going to be a certain amount of caffeine in your brain, which is impacting the adenosine functionality in your brain. So if you have a lot of caffeine in your bloodstream still after nine hours, you're not going to be able to go to sleep and people need sleep. That's like episode three, four, I don't know, something like that. Early on, we talked about sleep and how it's important. So it can be harmful and in some cases fatal if you overdose on caffeine. Another thing that I wanted to talk about was quitting or weaning caffeine dependence. Not for me, but maybe some of you care about this. I certainly don't, but if you're wondering, um, (laughs) withdrawal from caffeine is certainly possible, especially if you have a cup of coffee or more every single day. Um, Withdrawal symptoms peak after one to two days after you stop drinking coffee and can last for up to nine days, nine days. And these symptoms include headaches, fatigue, decreased alertness, and depressed mood. Um, Gradually reducing your caffeine dose, though, might help with withdrawal symptoms. So, for example, if you're you're up to three three coffees a day, don't go to zero when you're trying to quit. Maybe cut down on the afternoon cup and then cut down on the second morning cup and then, you know, work your way down from there so that you can wean your body off of it. Um, that might help with reducing any symptoms from caffeine withdrawal that you have. Um, but, you know, that's you. I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with this. Thank you, though. Good luck, though. If you're thinking about it, Godspeed. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's all that I wanted to talk about for question two of how caffeine affects our bodies. Um, So that's it for this episode. I guess we'll just go to the takeaways now. The takeaway from this episode is that coffee is really great. Unless you're pregnant, in which case a little bit of coffee is great. Um, But yeah, I think what I'm taking away from this is that coffee can be like harmful short term if you are someone who like has anxiety or has, you know, um, maybe doesn't tolerate caffeine well if it makes you super jittery because you know, you drink too much caffeine in a short amount of time and your body can't metabolize it. But for the most part, coffee is okay short-term and actually can provide some benefits long-term. So I'm going to stay with the opinion that coffee is great and I love coffee. And what's that TikTok noise? It's like, 
If she has a million fans, I'm one of them. If she has one fan, it's me. If she has no fans, I'm dead. That's me and coffee. Like, I will be a coffee fan forever and ever and ever. And I'm really glad that the research showed that it could, it's not that harmful for you. Because when I was doing the alcohol episode, I was kind of worried. I'm like, yo, I'm like pretty dependent on caffeine. What if caffeine's like bad for you? But from this article, which was published in a very prestigious medical journal, um, it, it seems like it's okay for the most part. Um, so, a little sigh of relief there. Um, yeah, I think that's all that I wanted to take away from this episode. I also just love that, like, I don't know, when I first started this podcast, I wanted to show that, like, science is everywhere and, like, point out how science is all around us. And I think this episode is a good example of that. Like, literally, in something that you might do every single day, coffee, drink coffee. It's science, you know? So I hope that you can recognize that as well and maybe appreciate it a little bit if it's in your heart to appreciate science. I assume it is if you've gotten this far. Um, but yeah. Anyway. All right. That's all for this week. Um, please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening and subscribe on YouTube, please. You can also follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at SamSplainingSci. You can connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also ask questions at samsplainingscience.com slash ask. So if you have anything that you want Sam explain to you, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.